0: It's another edition of the Deep Slant Podcast. I'm your host DP Sidhu. Joining me today, Sean Pennergast, host of co-host of the Triple Threat on Sports Radio 610 Texans Post Game and new for the 2018 season Texans Pre Game Show as well. Welcome, Sean Pennergast. I've never sat down one-on-one with you.
1: I know this is fun. How are you doing, DP? I'm
0: fantastic. Uh, for those of you listening, don't forget. To subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and please leave a review. I said all that stuff about you, but really, the most important thing is on your Twitter bio—that's that you're the tenth-ranked kolache eater.
1: Yeah, in the world, that's huge. And I—and until the Kolache Factory has another kolache eating contest, I will always be the tenth-rated kolache eater (laughs) in the world. They've only had one. It was in two (laughs) thousand seven. It was at Minute Maid Park. And John Harris will remember because he was sitting next to me in studio when we were doing our show back in the day. And they were having a, a, a one of those eating contests where all those freaks come in like Joey Chestnut and all those crazy yes. eaters come in yes. to eat kolaches. And one of the eaters dropped out. So they the marketing guy called our show because he had heard how much I love kolaches. And he invited me to be in the contest. And so I was the 10th person. And they, there were 10 people in the contest. And these
0: were the 10 best they in the were world. the nine best in me best it, yeah year. like once the contest <laughs> started yeah yeah so
1: they were like Joey Chestnut ate 56 kolaches in 8 minutes Patrick Bertaletti whose nickname is Deep Dish uh-huh. he's like 130 pounds um he ate like 52 How many did you eat? I ate 7. That's it. In 8 minutes. Yeah. Well, 7 It took you a minute to eat a kolachi? No. Well, okay, it took me a minute not the first one. But try to eat seven kolaches in eight minutes. I know it sounds crazy. When <laughs> I you're... would not sign up for this. Right. when, when you When you're next to a dude eating 56, eating seven sounds pathetic. But if you, like, sat down, imagine sitting at your cubicle for eight minutes and with seven sausage and cheese, it's the, you know. The, so is that the, what the, you had, sausage and cheese? It was the cheese? signature sausage and cheese oh, kolache factory sounds... kolache, the one that's kind of shaped like an egg.
0: I'm gaining weight, Sean, just having this yeah. conversation with yeah. you. This it, sounds really heavy.
1: Yeah, they, they, uh, and they kind of shamed me, too, those professional eaters, after <laughs> I only ate seven. Sonia so you're 10th,
0: you're but by a long shot. I'm
1: 10th out of 10, but that's not what you put in your bio. You want to you know, put yourself I over like it. a little bit. Yeah, You marketed if, yourself. If, if you go to eatfeeds.com and search my name, you'll see that I have one point on the professional eating circuit.
0: You have a lot of interesting things <laughs> on your bio. And I learned also, which I did not know, that you made your TV debut at a young age on ESPN thirty for thirty. Uh, oh God! Yes. Like a long time ago. Well, How do you build up from that? First of all, tell the story about you ended up on
1: it. Yeah. Well, I, I the debut was actually a couple years ago on the Catholics versus convicts, but it was a picture of a young Sean Pendergast that found its way on <laughs> with her. hair, right? Really, with, dude with a beautiful head of hair. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, yeah, Catholics versus convicts, Notre Dame versus Miami, nineteen eighty eight, and um, it's funny uh, the. The producer of that the executive producer, I guess is his title jerry barca he 's somebody i 've become friendly with, actually through Evan Koch, who used to be he used
0: to be PR he here used to be yeah. PR
1: here he was high school friends with Jerry, and he hooked Jerry and I up back when I had a solo radio show on a previous network back in the day because Jerry was writing a book about Catholics versus convicts like five or six years ago, so I had him on my radio show and we became and he went to Notre Dame as well, so we became we 've never met, but we 've become very good friends through social media and doing sure. radio together like a lot of people are nowadays. I feel like half my radio friends I've never met <laughs> never in met person it. because you have this them as guests true. on your show and you feel like you're best friends with them. So, um, so Jerry goes from doing the book to doing the 30 for 30, and he reached out to me. I actually reached out to him, I think, and I said, "Hey, look, if you need someone to do those <laughs> cool photos. to do those cool." Well, at first, I said, "You know, if you need someone to do those cool vignettes where you ask for their opinions on things that get spliced in throughout the thirty for 30. You know, I was at the, the, di- game,
0: the diary room, as they used to call it back in the day, where right? they talk
1: to you for like four hours and like splice it up, like okay. eighteen seconds of it winds up in the in the, uh, in the in the in the actual documentary. He didn't use me for those purposes. However, I said I do have some pictures also. And so I sent him some pictures of game day that day. We were, you know, it was 1988. Um, I still, to this day. You had to
0: scan in the photos. Yeah. They were like. You know how I got Actual him? pictures.
1: This is how I got them. Rob Stone, who is on Fox Sports, who soccer fans will know is the guy who's doing the studio show for the World Cup right now. Okay. Is one of my best friends from high school. Really? He came in for that game to go to the game in 1988. He went to Colgate. He took, like, the train to come out for this game. Okay. And he had a bunch of pictures from that. I'm like, Stoner, you, I don't have the pictures anywhere. Do you have the pictures? He's like, I'll email them to you. So he emailed me a bunch of pictures. I forwarded them to Jerry. and that, that's I didn't wind up in that 30 for 30 giving my hot takes on the game, but I did wind up with <laughs> wearing people the shirt. getting to see me wearing the the shirt and with my beautiful head of feathered hair, probably parted in the middle. Probably had on like an Oingo Boingo T-shirt on underneath it or something. Yeah, that that
0: really should be your Twitter pick right there. It's oh, you've the, got a, you've got a good one right now.
1: I do. Well, me and Michael Chiklis is going to take a lot to get that one put down. <laughs> the other one people want me to put up is I've I've have at times I'll show you the picture after the show. My student ID from Notre Dame okay. is one of the most beautiful things ever. Really? Like my head of hair is just like, it, it, I feel it, like it's feel like there's a that, running theme here with you. It's yes. it, it, but I yeah I and I look. They, the way Notre Dame did their student IDs, it was like an Olin Mills picture. Like, I'm looking off to the right, like something amazing is happening. Like, off to, like, 2, two o'clock, something incredible was going on. I had, like, this look on my face, like, you know, like I've just seen Jesus or something. That's, you know?
0: That's, I know exactly who Olin Mills is. I have a family picture of me and my parents, and we're all looking at a book. This is our family portrait. <laughs> right. We're just looking at a book. Yeah. And there just happened to be a book? camera there. I don't even know, but I was Green looking at the book. Green
1: eggs and ham or something. Yeah, I was just
0: like, we're all looking at a book, and that was in our that was in our family room for a long time. Yeah. That was an Olin, Olin Mills picture. Yeah. We should bring those back. Oh. Good okay. stuff. You and I actually have something in common besides... Uh, not the hair obviously no
1: your hair has remained intact you You look amazing i I
0: hope it stays that way as a man i'm not allowed to just shave my head as a woman i'm not allowed to shave my head like a man you write for the houston press and i have to say your articles and your editorials are just so fun and informative thank you i feel like there are not a lot of people that do both radio and do a lot of writing radio people like to talk yeah they don't like to put pen to paper and actually write things down how did you get involved in both
1: Um, I, you know, honestly, like part of it was.
0: Like, which came first? Radio? The radio came
1: first. Okay. Although it's funny, like, I, but I've always been, I think, a pretty good writer. I wasn't an English major or anything, I was a business major back in the day, but I've always been pretty decent at expressing myself in writing. Um, you know, like even like stupid things. Like I, you know, I've been a commissioner of a fantasy football league here in town since 1997. And I used to do like a weekly (laughs) summary of the league that some of the guys who will probably listen to this podcast, they would always say like, these are hilarious. You should really like start a blog. I would do a recap every week (laughs) and I would tie it into like the bachelor or, you know, some like current thing going on. And, and eventually I stopped doing that because it just took a lot of time. But um, but radio, professionally, in terms of what I got paid for, radio came first in 2007, and then the Houston Press then came along in 2009, and it was actually Lance Zerline who they had approached him about writing for the Houston Press, but he was already writing for the Houston Chronicle. So he said, hey, why don't you ask Sean? Like, Sean's a pretty fun. Sean, Lance was in that fantasy and still is in that fantasy football he's league. Waiting,
0: he's just waiting for the latest update. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So he, he said, Sean's a pretty good, I think Sean would be pretty good at what you're looking for for writing there. So I said, okay, I'll be honest with you, DP, at the time. The reason I did it is I needed money. Money. You know, I was – and, you know, we can talk about how I got into radio, but I was – before I got into radio, I was a vice president of sales for a telecom company. I made a a lot of money, you know what I mean? And so when I got into radio, I took a gigantic pay cut to get into radio, like a two-thirds pay cut to get into radio with a startup station that, you know, didn't have really any revenue coming in at the time. Um, And radio
0: doesn't pay – a lot, as it is even established stations. Right, right. So to go, and, and you you went to 1560, you and John Harris, yeah. there was so much talent. They, it was. Amongst and you guys that started that station. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, we, and we can talk about that in a second, but just on the writing thing, I, I did it because, like, honestly, I did it because I needed, like, they, they said, we'll pay you X amount per post, and we need five posts a week. I said, great, because I started adding it up. I'm like, okay, cool. That's like... You know, a third of a child support payment or something right, like right. that. You know what I mean? Because I, I was going through a divorce at the time. Like I, I got into radio at the least optimal life moment, just from a practicality standpoint. Because um, I, I moved down here, my kids stayed in Chicago, I was getting divorced. So, anyways, I, I got into the writing mostly because I, I was like, okay, cool, that's some more income that I'll have coming in. And here I am, nine years later, and I'm still writing for him, and I'm doing great now at six ten, and things are. You know awesome, uh you know, they're much better than they were in two thousand and seven for me, but I just like doing it you know I like i it, it gives me another place to express my thoughts um and it,
0: differently, you can sit down and you can really think it, talk totally. about it, yeah, put it in the words that you want you can be funny you don't it's it's just there's just it's a different methodology. you and I are very similar in that i had a i did, i worked for big corporate America, I yeah. worked for Texas instruments actually down yep. the freeway. In marketing, I made a lot more money as an engineer than I did in radio. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people that want to do radio. So, you know, I was at Sports Radio 16. They needed writers. Yeah. And the radio people don't want to write. So, I mean, I, literally, I have no journalism degree, nothing, but I like to read a lot. I was pretty good on paper. Yeah. And now I, I really I, I enjoy writing because I think it makes you better as a radio host. Totally. It makes you better in every aspect because I think, you have to think about your arguments.
1: No question. I, I think just writing things down in general makes you, you know, it, it, it to me it just helps me assort my thoughts, if nothing else, I'm, I'm probably one of the few radio hosts in town that when I do my rundown for the show, I've got it in an electronic form, but I also get out a notebook and I write it down because that'll be my thing. Like during the show, if I'm changing anything, you know, it's almost Mark like it a game plan. Yeah. I'm marking it out. But I, but just writing in general, just in terms of, you know, writing blog posts or writing articles and things like that. Yeah. I, a lot of it crosses over into the show. I feel like if it's certain topics, I'm much more organized in my thoughts. Like, I think it's made me a better radio host because I can use some of that stuff on the show. Exactly. What yeah. was weird was when the Houston Press, when, when Margaret Downing, who's, the, um, who's my editor over there and has been st- from pretty much the time since I got there, um, the first time she came to me and asked me to do a cover story. For the Houston Press, because those are like three and four, five thousand words. You know, those are long. You know, those that's are a long lot of pressure. Form. You need to interview people. You know, you need to do journalistic <laughs> things to use your word. Like I, at first, I was just <laughs> the dude making a bunch of jokes about sports teams in town for like right. five or six hundred words.
0: Now you need a little notebook with a little pencil. Yeah, and you gotta like, go out and talk to people. She must
1: really like my stuff, as she's asking me to do these cover stories, and I'm and. And it was one of those things I'm like, I'm not trying to do any of this stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to do radio. I'm not trying to write. I'm definitely not trying to how write did, cover stories. How
0: did you figure out what to do? I Can you use, Google how to be a journalist? No, I no. just kind of <laughs> use
1: my instincts. I read a lot. You know, it's, here's the thing. That does help, I think, in writing. I, yeah, I read a lot. And for radio, I listen a lot. I was a listener and a caller before I became a radio host. So I think from a radio standpoint, I have a pretty good idea of what listeners want because I am one. And I think from a writing standpoint, I was just – when I sat down to start doing those, I think the first one I did was like a preview of the 2011 Texans or something like that. And I, I just sat down and I wrote it the way I think I – w- I wrote it the way I thought a really good preview would re- – and I don't know if people wound up thinking it was really good. I know I wound up doing like 20 more cover stories after that over the next few years. But um, – but I just kind of sat down and used my gut and said this is I think this sounds good, I think this is funny, and she was very helpful too Margaret was you know she's a great editor she's she's super helpful she's made me a much better writer. I'm still learning all this stuff, you know what I mean like I'm still trying to become better at radio and better at writing and things like that you know you got to keep absolutely you gotta keep improving
0: absolutely. you mentioned that you were a listener before yeah. you actually talked to her yeah, that's yeah. one of the first things that I ever learned about you when I first was told that there's a Sean Pendergast in the market. Yeah. Is that you won the Jim Rome show smack off competition four times. Five once, times. Five times.
1: 99, 03. Oh,
0: 99. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, because I
0: Googled it, but I it started at like 2001.
1: Yeah, little known fact, 99 is the only one that I won as a as a in-town Houstonian. And the where o- were you the other The time? other four, 03, I was in Denver i had gotten promoted in my in, with my company I was So you're with. working
0: like a day job and then you're going into a conference room and like I got to participate in yeah, this Yeah,
1: back then I was working out of my house, but 050506 0- and 07 I was in Chicago. And by then I was VP of sales, so I had to go into the office every day and wear you know, wear nice clothes. And so I'd lock the door and do the smack-off. And then I'd open the door and be like, oh, I'm off the conference call. You
0: know? I had a very important business uh, yeah. meeting, guys. Yeah,
1: the CEO of my old company probably will get a hold of this podcast and be like, that bastard. That's what yeah, he was doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. How did no you wonder com- we missed our forecast in June.
0: <laughs> how did you come up with – like how does one become good at a smack-off? You just – like, how did you come up with the material, and not just material to get on the show to get sifted through all the yeah. callers, but to actually win? Yeah. What do you think was the key to that?
1: I I just think you know you got to have a sense of humor, you've got to you got to kind of know your audience. In the audience, there isn't so much the listening audience; it's Jim Rome and the three or four people he had working for him. Those were the people who decided who won. It wasn't like. You know, like the Espies that just came out yesterday, where everybody's going to vote online, and I got to, oh boy, I better hope that this take doesn't offend China because right. they're voting on the smack off for Jim Rome. You just had to kind of know what appealed to Jim Rome's sensibilities, and Travis Rogers was his producer at the time, his sensibilities. And did had, you
0: did you sort of formulate your opinion to what you thought reflected his opinions?
1: No, no, I didn't because I I think it wasn't so much opinion based. When you're doing the smack off, it's more you gotta be funny and you gotta be a little edgy. And he likes it when you make runs at other callers in the smack off. You know oh, a lot okay. of it's a, a lot of the smack off thing is just a gigantic roast of other callers. <laughs> you know, do you you know what I mean? And I think that's what some people don't figure out cuz some people call in with their hot takes on whatever's going on that day. I'm like this is a once a year thing, man. Like nobody cares about who won the, you know, who won the Astros game last night. Like you got to go in and you got to tell Vic and NoCal why he's an idiot. And you got to tell this guy why, you know, and, and no
0: smack no smack off in a vacuum. You have to be aware gotta, you, of you, of you, what's got on. Going Deep, on you have to now. be
1: a spatial thinker if you're going to win <laughs> a highly subjective radio call in contest I feel like
0: you could do a whole podcast on what it takes to get into to get through the phone lines to get on a show yeah because now that you're actually on the other end of it and you're taking callers yeah I mean there are a lot of people that are calling in that are you know it's like you could we could make this call so much better
1: yeah you know a lot of that is I think a lot of that isn't even in the in the hands of the host. Jim had a really good staff screening his calls. It's rare that, like, bad calls sneak through. And I think sometimes they let a few sneak through just so Jim could make fun of them back in the day. <laughs> um, but I remember the first few times I called in, I almost had to give what my call was to the call screener before I went on the air to to give my call. Eventually, on that show, after three or four or five calls, the, he would know who you were. And they be you know, and so with the call screener, and they'd be like, hey, it's Sean in Houston. Hey, Sean, what's up? What do you want to talk about? Oh, I want to talk about you know, whatever the hot things were back in 1998, Randy Johnson going to the Astros sure. or whatever. And they go, okay, cool, hang on, Jim will get to you. And then, you know, if you're good enough, you cut right in front of everybody. You know, the first few times I called, I'm on hold for two hours.
0: The you good know. radio hosts, they know they're know their regular callers. Sure. And they get bumped to the front of the Especially list. Especially Jim.
1: Uh, j- you know, Jim's, uh, look, Jim's made a lot of people famous, you know, radio famous on his show. His first Smack Off winner was JT The Brick, who's been a national host for – I I, like he's he's probably closer to 30 years than 25 years right now. Really long time. Um, There's me. There's there's a handful of other people who have gotten local shows or national shows who have gotten their notoriety from being a caller to Jim Rome's show.
0: So was that your end game when you were calling in? Did you think like this might lead to something? This might lead to a career in radio when you're doing it? Were you just doing were you just sort of in the moment having fun out? I mean, it seems like someone that wants to do radio yeah. will find a way to do radio. The
1: first time I called, and actually the the first several times I called, most of the time I called early on was just because the show was a fun show. It, was, know, it was huge. It was back huge in the day. here. You know, it, it really put six ten on the map back in the day with the tour stops. I mean, Jim got twenty five thousand people out to Enron Field now Minute Maid Park to watch him tell jokes and watch Steve Elkington drive a golf ball and a dress and all these other crazy (laughs) things. So at first I was calling just because I'm like, hey, this is a fun show. I went to Jim's website and I saw how much he raised the profile. He had this legends section of these legendary callers. He called it the jungle legends. I'm like, I I should see if I can, like, I should call a few times and just see if I could make, make make it on the radar on this show. And that's what I did it the first few times. But through that show, I became friends with a lot of the guys who were at 610 at the time. Like Lance, I mentioned, John Granato, um you know, a few of the other folks over there. You know, I'd go to the remotes and things like that. So I became friendly with them. And I had always mentioned to them just in passing, you know, just through – When we'd go out for beers or whatever, like man, someday because I was working for a startup at the time and I had stock options and things like that. Man, someday if this startup company hits and I got enough money, I want to get into what you guys do. Just on the side, just on the side,
0: not to even make any money. Give give me a Saturday
1: show or something. You know what I mean? Like just and and we always kind of had a chuckle. Lance even let me come in and co-host with him a couple times when John was out because at that time, at that point, I had some notoriety on the Rome show. You were. you're a big deal. People knew who I was, so it wasn't like this thing where they were giving some random caller a chance to come in and do it. I, I I had at least a little bit of quasi-local fame. So, um, so I got to do that. But then I moved away in 2001. I got promoted, um, moved to Denver. Jim Rome actually offered me a job in 2003. He did? Yeah. You didn't take it? No, I didn't. He, it, was, it was when he got Rome is Burning, the TV show.
0: Yes, I remember that. On ESPN that.
1: back in the day. And he offered me a job to move to California and write for him. Um, but I, the, yeah, the,
0: my mouth is open because uh, I'm thinking, how do you not jump? Well, if I was
1: single with no kids at the time and no mortgage and things like, and no upward mobility, I probably would have, but I was, you're being sensible. I was in my early thirties. I had three kids who were under the age of three. We were living in Denver um, I was doing great with the company I was with. I mean, I was a superstar with the company I was with. I was the you know, youngest area sales director, I was their top performer at that level, and I'm like and I had stock options that were vesting every year. And so it was one of those things I just and, and we were living in Colorado, which wasn't cheap to live in, but we started look we actually looked at real estate in LA, me and my ex wife did, and and that was a big deterrent also. No comparison, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So so I didn't I didn't accept the job at the time. Eventually, a year later, I get promoted to VP of sales for the company I'm with. And keep in mind, we started this company in 97. So I was one of the first like 10 employees. I was their sales guy in Houston. Headquarters was in Naperville, Illinois. I got promoted there and I got bumped up. So I was running sales for the whole country. And, um,
0: well, something went wrong because you eventually left. Yeah. So, yeah. so what was it that made you eventually leave that
1: job? It was about that time when I when I got to Chicago that I started really regretting not getting into radio when I was like 22 years old. That I, and I had a great life, you know, on the outside. You know what I mean? We had a you know, I had a big house, um, nice cars, kids were doing great. You know this and that, but I was miserable professionally. I wasn't very good at being a VP of sales. I was a great salesperson. I was a great like area sales director but I wasn't a good VP of sales. Just to put it in football parlance, I was a really good player. <laughs> I was a really good position coach. <laughs> but head coach? But I was not, a well, I, yeah, I was, you know, the head coach is probably the CEO. I was not a great coordinator. We'll put it, I think I was probably the equivalent okay. of like a coordinator level. Okay. Um, I was like the OC. Um, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, the, the CEO is definitely the head coach of the whole operation. So anyways, not I, a good
0: know, coordinator, but a good position. Uh, coach.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I've kind of I peter principled. you know what I mean? I had kind of risen to my level. I don't want to say I have incompetence. I wasn't bad at the job, but I wasn't good enough to where I enjoyed it. And I was like, man, I really wish I got into radio back in the day. And at that point, it was just a wish because it would have been the least practical thing to do at that point because I had a lifestyle that I had to maintain. Um, you know, with
0: Significant drop-off to go from that sort of a job no to doubt. radio.
1: No doubt. However, um, in 2007, February 23rd, 2007, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. The goal with the company all along was to sell the company. And I get called into the CEO's office, and he says, well, it's done. We're selling the company. And I said, okay. And I knew it wasn't good news for me, other than the fact that I got to cash in some stock options, which weren't nearly as much as I had anticipated them being. Um, He said, well, the company that's buying us has a VP of sales already. You know, I'm paraphrasing. Sure. So basically, I was getting fired. This is
0: like an episode of Mad Men.
1: Yeah, I was getting fired. Totally. I was getting fired. (laughs) Um, and so I, I remember, uh, and I was kind of relieved, you know, cause I was miserable. I knew I'd find another job if I wanted to. But maybe to. you
0: would not have taken that step had that not have happened.
1: Well, I'll tell you right? in a moment. Right. I'll, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you how it all happened and I'll, I'll, I'll keep this kind of podcast brief, but, uh. There's no such thing. Okay. But go ahead. I, so I drive home that night, February 23rd, 2007, and I pull into my driveway. At this point, I'm in the middle of getting divorced as well. So, so this is 2007 2007, 2007 right. yeah. February 23rd, 2007. And I pull into my... Dr- oh, earlier in the day, after I had gotten fired, I had to fire all of the area sales directors oh that gosh. worked for me. So I had to do that. And the one that I called here in Houston, his name's Joe Garza. And I called up Joe to give him the news. And Joe said, hey, you know, he, he said, I'm thinking of getting into radio sales. Do you know anybody over at 610? And I said, yeah, I know some, I don't know the salespeople, but I know some people who know the salespeople. So yeah, I sent an email to Chance McLean, um, who I, some of these listeners may know he was their first program director over at 1560. Which blows my mind. Used to work at 610. <laughs> he was the executive producer of John writes, and Lance's show. Writes
0: fantastic songs. He He's yes. a
1: great, he's a great, he's the most creative person I know. Amazing. Yes. And, and so I, I emailed Chance who we, he and I were friends at the time and, and we still are to this day. And, uh. And I emailed him Joe's resume, and at the bottom I just jokingly put, "Hey, remember when we talked about carving out a couple hours for me on the weekend? You may need to do that. I, I you know, I lost my job also. Just joking around, right? Like I just told you five ten minutes ago. You know, like I, I, you know, I'd always thought about doing it. It'd be fun. So I just jokingly put that P.S. at the bottom. And I go home that night. I pull into my driveway, and I'm sitting in my car, and I just gotten fired. And I'm getting divorced and I'm looking at this house that I don't want to walk into right now. Like it was and I and I look at my temperature gauge on my dashboard of what the temperature is outside. And it's minus eleven degrees outside. And I'm and you can imagine I'm like, this is the worst. Like this is the bad like That's in, gotta
0: be the lowest. In right Goodfellas,
1: you they say this is the bad time. This is like, the bad time. This is this was the bad so like this is the, that's the lowest point I've ever had in my life. Um you know, aside to have, it, to
0: have it all come together like that. Yeah, my lo-
1: my lowest personal point. You know, obviously, you know, you lose relatives, things like that. But for me personally, it was my lowest point that I'd had at that moment. And I I swear this is how it went down. The, my my cell phone rings. Back then, it was probably a flip phone, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> so you open up your big flip phone. I open up my flip phone, my, 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 my kick ass flip phone, right? <laughs> and it's Chance, and he says, uh, he says. Um, I got your email. And I said, oh, cool. Can you help out, Joe? And he's kind of like, yeah, but that's not why I'm calling. He said, some people that you know are thinking of starting up a fourth radio station here in town, and your name has come up to do Afternoon Drive. Would you be interested in doing that?
0: I see. So it wasn't just a few hours now at this point. It, it this was, is how it, it was, the start of 1560.
1: This is, yeah, well, this is, you know, the, the station wound up starting up six months later, but obviously the plans were being formulated and things like that as early as February. And these were all people, I mean, you remember 1560. These are all 610 people who left to it's, go start that station. I mean, the, the
0: talent pool that started there. Now, obviously, everybody's dispersed. A lot of guys are at 610, some are at 790, some yeah. are at ESPN. But I always tell John Harris, I'm like, that core group of guys that you had there. Like did you know how much talent you had in that room because those are some of my most favorite people in the market yeah, I that think, were together
1: I, I I think we did I you know I I think we thought we did good things I think we thought we did creative things I definitely think we we um we shook up the market you know because 610 wound up firing all the people in charge over there and bringing in Gavin Spittle we I mean we were when we first started subscribing to Arbitron and getting the ratings Johnny and I were right on the heels of Rich and whoever he was hosting with at the time. It might have been Matt Jackson. I'm not sure. I remember seeing a month where they had a two five and we had a two four like we were right there now, granted, we did it on a, a massive time spent listening of a very small audience, and they did it with a much shorter time spent listening on a much bigger, a audience. bigger audience, but you you know you do the hokey pokey and you do the math and, and it all shakes out. The bottom line is, I mean, you can say whatever you will about the rating system. We were definitely doing things that were shaking up. You know, kind of shaking up the marketplace at the time. But,
0: okay, what I don't understand in all this is you've lost your job, you've thought about radio, you've gotten offered a job by Jim Rome. When you get fired, why is your first thought not, now is my big chance to get into radio? Like, why did you not pursue it more aggressively?
1: Because, well, I I mean, it
0: worked out in the end for you, but I'm just wondering why. Keep
1: in mind, like, that, I think some of it was, like, for 2007, like, I was still. VP of Sales, like I, I mean, Chance called me the day I got fired, so it was only like five hours after I got fired but that the I got. Jo- but
0: the little joke at the end of the email, I think I would be like, "Here's my resume as well." Yeah,
1: I think you know what. That's was good, it not?
0: Was it not even a thought in your a, head? At not that point? yet.
1: I think it was just still too soon. There was, I mean, there was so much I had to process. There was going on. I'd never been fired before. I, I hadn't even crunched the numbers on okay, what kind of salary do I need to go get for my next job? three kids i'm in the middle of a divorce the last thing i'm thinking about is oh, let's go get a radio job you know what i mean because there was just so much going on at, in that in that at that time on that day there was so much going on and and maybe subliminally me putting that at the bottom maybe there was part of it like maybe hey, it was. i was maybe just like subconsciously i'm dropping a line in the water to see what happens i did always want to move back to houston i'll say that i was not a big fan of living in chicago and i still I'm not crazy about Chicago. I like it because, you know, I like to go in there because my kids were there, you know, for the last 10 years or so. But um, I always wanted to come back to Houston. So, yeah, so when Chance called me, he's, he explains it to me, and I, he said, will you be interested? And, I, you know, at that point, I'm like, devil may care. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, of course I'd be interested in talking more about it. He said, okay, well, in the next 48 hours, you'll get a call from someone you know. This sounds so I can't say who. So I, I can't say who, <laughs> but it's someone you know. And they'll explain more of what's going on to well, you. Wait,
0: was Sopran- Sopranos was on TV back then, or had it already it, ended? It, it
1: was. It was in. The you're a big mi- Sopranos fan. Yes, it was. The last season had just started. So it was I, just about to start. There's a lot
0: of parallels going there, on. Here, there, but, are, but there are. There are. So, yes.
1: so he says, someone you know will be calling you in the next five minutes, and they'll explain more to you about what's going on with this new station. I said, okay. So I hang up the phone. I'm like. I'm not leaving this car. You know, like I've been sitting in this car for five minutes in this driveway. Good things things are happening in this car. All all of a sudden, that radio career, you know, there's like a 1% chance I might have a radio career. Um, Five minutes later, my phone rings. It's John Granato. Okay. And he calls me up and I said, hey, John, what's going on? And this was my entire interview to get my first job in radio. It was a three-word interview.
0: Three-word interview. interview.
1: Three-word interview. John Granato says, so you coming? And that was it. That's it. And I said, "Yeah, I think I am."
0: You didn't have to present what you would do on a show, what I, your afternoon drive segments would look like.
1: I, I, I did. I mean, eventually we did, but I like I think they, John, you know, they wanted me, you know, and John Harris, you know, probably didn't have a similar exact situation, but I'm sure his. Very, they, they wanted Johnny as well. Very
0: similar. He had an accounting job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? Johnny and
1: I were both green as hell. And but they wanted us both in there. I think they you know, John Granado and Chance had the vision to think like we could be something in this business. And I think probably in the back of their mind too, D P they probably figured we we need to do something a little different because we're the fourth station here in town. We can't just go get Two hosts from some other city and start up. Let's find somebody and, who have a little bit of a connection and pay him a lot of
0: money because anybody established in radio yeah. is going to command a lot more money than someone like you or John Harris. Right? right. I, I, yeah. just happy for the opportunity. I had to prove
1: myself. Now, 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 it, it, like financially, it was a disastrous decision for me for many years because I had to plow. You know, I, had, I went through a divorce. I had to plow through my savings but i i realized after like a year or so of doing it i'm like i can do this like i i can do this and i think i can get to somewhere where i can make an income similar to what i was making maybe not all the way to what i was making before but i can get close enough to the neighborhood to where the price i negotiate with myself is that i'll take a little i'll i'll take a cut in pay if i'm happy if i'm happy what i'm doing every day if i don't have to sit down in sales meetings and give forecasts to people who if i if i miss them are going to yell at me you know what i mean like instead i can go in and and talk about football and talk about movies and talk you know and and do it with people i like doing it with and stuff like that I, your
0: point could not be more valid i mean i i remember thinking if i never have to give another training on digital signal processors and yes. semiconductors in my life it will not come too soon and yeah. i think a lot of people looked at me like You've got a good-paying job with a big company. You went to college to get this engineering degree. You've Same got like here. But, you know, if you're not happy doing something like and, I, and the thing that I loved about my job was giving the presentations. Yeah. But I just didn't want it to be about that. Yeah. And I had loved radio since I was 15. I, I, I volunteered for my high school station. Yeah. And then I came to Houston, and I worked for a nonprofit station. I would just go to a show two hours a week. They just handed me a show. Yeah. Because they weren't paying me, and I just wanted to keep my board skills fresh.
1: Yeah. But tell me... I, that. Let me just say real quick. Yes, I really, I, I really respect that path more than mine. What? From, from this standpoint is, I mean, a lot of the things you were doing were like those. Those are like that's a lot of you know. It's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of a lot, a lot of investment for very little return. You know what I mean? Like to get to where you are, like that's you. I cut in front of a lot of people, uh, even though we were the fourth station. I should in have town. called
0: into the Jim Rome show, Sean. Yeah, I, yeah, Why did well, I just do trust that? Trust me,
1: DP. It was far from a like a, <laughs> a, a, a mapped out plan that I had. But that's where I'll always be thankful. <laughs> I'll always be thankful to John and to Chance for taking a chance on me, and you know, and Johnny. Uh, you know, because Johnny and I were doing the show together for three or four years. And the first two years we were at that station, I tell this to Johnny. I tell anybody who asks me the first two years at fifteen sixty were the funnest two years I ever had in any job anywhere. I, I love my job now. I have a great time now. Those first two years were so much fun. Maybe some of it had to do with I was so miserable the previous three years. Right,
0: You're finally getting to <laughs> right? do something that you didn't think you were ever going to get to do. But we
1: had such a fun time. We had such a good time. And, I, you know, there were a lot of things where you could – if you read the tea leaves, you could probably say, okay, this is probably going to last forever because there were a lot of deficiencies at the station. And probably some of them were with us. You know, they got to look inward and go, we maybe weren't the greatest hosts at the time. Um but to your point, like I think the market has kind of spoken on that lineup that we had early on at fifteen sixty. Like everybody who was part of that early lineup, they're all either still with the company over there or they've moved on to bigger and better to things. To bigger and better things. Yeah. Tell
0: me about that first show, that afternoon drive. Who was your co host and what was that first time on the air like for you? It was because- John Harris. So it was you and John yeah. Harris. That was your that was from the from day from one. From
1: August twentieth, two thousand seven. You guys
0: are both guys that are he's coming from an accounting firm. Yeah. Unhappy with his job. Mm-hmm. You're coming VP sales. Yeah. Fired. Unhappy with your job that you no longer have. So when you sit down to do the first show, yeah. Were you scared? were you scared out of your mind were you did you feel like this is like riding a bike what what was it
1: like i for was you? a little nervous i, I you know just a little that's pretty good there's times yeah I, I like i honestly don't remember to the degree that i was nervous i was definitely nervous put it that way um but, I mean, you've done enough radio with Johnny now to know, like, he's super easy to do radio with. He's,
0: Seth he, Payne says it's like doing a show with Google. Yeah. Google he's, Sports He's especially. easy <laughs> to talk to. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, but Johnny's got a great personality, he too. Does. And he's got – I think the thing that – I think the thing Johnny had to make sure people knew right off the bat, because everybody knew him as this football savant, was that there was way more to him than football. That, A, he knew a bunch of the – you know, he knew – to an encyclopedic level about pretty much any sport. And also, like, he was – Johnny's very dialed into pop culture, too. You he know? really is. Yeah. I can,
0: I, Johnny and I – I think whenever I get him on the show, we, we did a draft show a few years ago when, when the Texans had the number one pick. Yeah. 2014 draft. John and I sit down, and the first thing I ask him – and I, I, I kicked myself on the air, but Johnny laughed about it. I said, I can, I've got John Harris here. I can ask him anything before the draft starts. But mm-hmm. the first thing I said to him was, hey, how about Dante Fowler's shoes? <laughs> and Johnny had an opinion just like that because he had seen it, and he and it, but he he later said to me, he "Goes, I appreciate the fact that you don't just look at me as like someone that just spits out yeah. football statistics." Yeah, because it, he watches Real Housewives, he watches The Bachelorette. Oh, are you kidding me? Like, Nobody's
1: more dialed into the Bachelor franchise than Johnny Harris. The John man. Harris, because
0: yeah. we, we break it down the, him and I yeah. every week. But yeah. yes, you're right. You're right about that. So the two of you are doing a sure, show together. Two of us? yeah, two of that us. makes it very easy to have a co-host that. Is is not just one dimensional. I, like that. I think
1: too, and, and we had similar sensibilities from a standpoint of he was coming from a job that he hated. I was coming from a job that i I didn't hate my job, but I was I was you know I was fairly I was fairly miserable. Like that job gave me a lot of good things. Did you know guys
0: ever talk about your jobs on the air? Because I feel like a lot I of know, listeners sure we, can relate to that. I'm
1: sure we did. I you know I'm sure uh, yeah we brought a lot of ourselves onto the air. You know like I think. I, look like from a, from an off the air standpoint, like I, I thought on the air, Johnny and I did a really good job off the air. Like the, the, the embers were still burning on the shambles that were my <laughs> off the, off the air life. Because I, you know, my, you lot my, my ex-wife up. and my kids are still up in Chicago. So I'm having to make sure I'm going up there on a frequent basis to see them, that they're coming down here. Um, you know that I like, I'm proud of the way I've parented my kids from a distance for 10 years. They, all three of them have turned out to be great kids um, but that was a big thing for me early on is juggling that and trying to do it with a bank account that's dwindling and dwindling. So it was hard, you know, for the first handful of years. Um, And the first two years were great. Um, You know, then they started to change some things around over there. They started to shuffle the lineup and things like that. And my money was, you know, my money wasn't, it was getting better, but not better to the point where I, you know, it wasn't on the trajectory I needed to be. So about 2010 or 2011 was about the time I'm like, okay, i got to get over to 610. That's got to be my goal is to get over to Sports Radio 610 because it's the best station in town. It's the, it's where the, the NFL team in town is. And privately, that's when I started to really make that my goal was to – because I, I, I looked at it, I said, I'm not going to get to where I need to be income-wise. I think maybe even industry-wise there – as good as they were to me, because they were really good. David Gow treated me really, really well while I was there. But I wasn't going to get to where I saw myself being. By being there, I needed to get over to a, a you know, kind of a you know, bigger platform. You, you,
0: did you go to 610 right away? or it was, a little, no. it, was a, it was a while, because when I was there, you were not there.
1: January, uh, I joke all the time, Bill O'Brien and I have the same hire date. January 1st, 2014. <laughs> You'll always we remember. Have the same, we have the same scalp too. Yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> we, was a good day for the bald men good, of Houston. It, right? it was. It was. It was uh, probably a little better for him, but it was. It was a good day for me too. So you started in twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. I. 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 I met. I made a point to introduce myself to Gavin Spittle around two thousand ten or two thousand eleven. Up in the press box, who was you know? the
0: program director at Sports Radio yes, Six Ten previously? The time. Right, at the time. that's that's when I was there. I was there when Gavin was there okay. as well. So, so you, I owe a lot to him.
1: Yeah, as, as do a lot of people. I, you know, Gavin, I never worked for him, but I think the world of him. I, you know, I, I, I met him, and one of the things he said to me one of the times we were talking, I don't think it was the first time, but he he was very complimentary about how much he liked me and Johnny, our show, and he always talked about how, man, if I could have taken your show and plugged it into his system, so to speak. He's like, man. so I, th- that's when I'm like, okay, I think I got a shot here. You know, like if he likes what I do, that's a really good thing, obviously. Um, so I interviewed in 2012 with him for the job Nick Wright ended up getting in the morning. I remember that. Yeah. But Gavin gave me a lot of great advice through that interview process about um, my contract, my next contract and things like that. He was really, really good about like saying, hey, if you want to, if you want to have some mobility, not just a 610, but anywhere, you know, you need to make sure you've, that that this is how your mobility is sort of structured. So how said, funny! Okay, and
0: then and then you end up signing a contract later. You probably use that same advice. I,
1: well, I, I end up interviewing a year later for the afternoon spot that was opening up because Josh Innes was leaving. He was doing the show with Rich at the time, and I, you know I'm not sure if Ryan, you know, at the at the encouragement of Gavin or if Ryan McCreden uh, at his own just sort of listening. Decided, the current program director, the current is, program is, director, yeah. yeah, decided to say, "Hey, I'm going to interview Sean," but. I was lucky enough to get a phone call about August or September of that year and that's when kind of the interview process started and and unfortunately um, I was in a much less cumbersome deal at the time so my last show I think it was December 18th 2013 the news broke that I was changing stations and and this says this speaks to the relationship that I that I had over at 1560 with Gao is he let me finish out the week he you know they it was a Wednesday that the news broke and they 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 said no we we think our audience wants you know wants some closure some closure they even did like a farewell they let me do like a farewell show on on the twentieth on the Friday that that week which I thought was really really cool so did I, you have
0: people call in and roast you that would have been so appropriate I don't, I,
1: I don't remember like, I was so, <laughs> like it's a blur I was so euphoric to be making a move in radio that people were talking about that you know like and, and making some money and, and and making some more money and yeah so it was. It was, it was really cool. Like, I, you know, like I, it was, it was cool doing those, like the, there are certain milestones when you get into this business. Yeah. That first show that Johnny and I did, which if we go back and listen was like, if I go back and listen, Johnny and I should listen to that sometime. You, you guys should pull it out. Cause and, we were yeah. probably terrible, you know, but, um,
0: <laughs> I'm sure you were not. I'm sure, I'm sure the enthusiasm
1: we did some weird stuff to. too early on. Like we, you he guys, tells me some of the, did he and tell you about, uh, interviewing Corey Hain? Yes. So you got to tell this story. This is
0: one. This is one of my favorites. Yeah. So we we (laughs) decided
1: we one of the things we like we got to do some you know let's do some some crazy things, let's everybody's interviewing a list celebrities let's interview d list celebrities, so So it's a good plan. Yeah. Now we never told the celebrities that we were having on that they were d listers, (laughs) but so Corey Haim was the first one we had on. God, R. I. P. Corey Haim. God, was he coked up. On that interview. Yeah, I've still got the audio somewhere. I'll send it to you. Um, he was off the – like he was – Johnny and I were looking at each other like laughing. Like, God, we were like, man, if more than five people were listening to this right now, this would be incredible. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> our signal was so bad at 1560 it was, it was. early on. Um, but it was really funny. So then the funnier story is the next week when we're like, okay, well, who do we get f- – Boy, how do we follow up, Corey? Hanks? That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we said, I don't know how we settled on this, but we settled on Willie Ames. Do you remember Buddy, who, Buddy from Charles in Charge? Buddy from Charles in yes. Charge. He was Tommy on Eight Is Enough. He was Bible Man. He, Bible Man. Yeah, he was a superhero, like a Bible superhero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that I I did not know that. If you look at his, I Wiki remember page, but I can picture
0: him with the curly reddish brownish yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah.
1: Most most people that are in our sweet spot listening now are probably Charles in Charge. I think the older ones remember Eight Is Enough. Whatever the case. At that time, he was as D-list as D-list Oh, he was D-list then. Okay, Okay, so we have David Nuno, who is now thriving at Channel 13, another former 1560 guy who's doing great. Nuno was helping us book our show at the time. And he said, okay, well, I'll reach out to Willie Ames, and we'll get him on the show. I said, okay, awesome. So this is like on Tuesday, Nuno comes in. He's like... Willie Ames, we got him. We got him. Awesome. Big get. Cool. We book him. We put him on the notebook for on the whiteboard, whatever, for Friday. Thursday, we're in prepping in our office. Johnny and I have an office together. And Nuno walks in. He's like, guys, I got bad news. He said, I booked the wrong Willie Ames. Willie Ames <laughs> spells his name with two A's. Nuno booked Willie Ames that spells his name with one A. And this Willie Ames was like a banjo player from San Diego. Oh. Okay. Like some banjo oh, pick okay. that plays coffee houses in San Diego. He somehow said yes to an interview Would to an just... afternoon <laughs> show in Houston with ten listeners. Okay? So so Nuno's like, Well, I guess I gotta cancel it. And Johnny and I are like, No, no, no. Let's bring on Willie Ames with, one, with A one A and interview him as if he's Willie Ames with two A's. That's brilliant. And let's take bets and see how long we can he stays on with us till he hangs up. This will be funny. Nobody's so you, you, doing this. you've got
0: your normal questions that you're going to ask Buddy from Charles and Charger. But we're asking yeah. him to, some banjo, to pick some banjo player out of San Diego. This must happen to him a lot.
1: It well, I don't know how much he gets booked for even interviews in San well, Diego yeah, at the time. And radio and radio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, like I explain like coffee houses with a banjo. Like I don't think, "Hey, come on and play the Rainbow Connection for us." That so. would
0: be my first question, like, "Are you sure you have the right person? Yeah. I just want to make sure." But
1: who would think there's two Willie Ames worthy of having a web page at the time? You know what I mean? Well, no,
0: I, I mean if I'm Willie Ames with oh, two A's, yeah. I would I would question this. Like yeah. maybe you need the other guy, yeah. or maybe there's somebody else. So All so, right, we, so, you, so we get bring on the phone. On,
1: we bring on Willie Ames with one A and we start peppering him with Willie Ames with two A's type questions. Type questions, sure. And I'm like, what was it like being in that house, the Bradfords, with all those sisters in there? Which one were you most attracted <laughs> to? I'm even asking him questions as if he's in character. Not like it's Willie Ames, like it's, it's Tommy Bradford. It's like you, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy Bradford or, 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 uh, or Buddy. Um, and he's like, um, I don't really know what you're talking about. Like every, every question he's like, um, no, that's, no I, I, that's that never happened to me. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy won't hang up. He's like hanging on like a like a water skier hanging (laughs) on. He's not leaving.
0: Eventually, they're gonna get to my banjo playing skills. it's coming.
1: Yeah, and the guy. So eventually, after no joke, like eight minutes of us peppering him with Willie Ames questions. He starts scree- He starts going, "I'm not that Willie Ames," and he starts screaming out. This shows you what year it was. He starts screaming out the address to his MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go visit myspace.com/slash Willie Ames with one A. Like he's screaming it out while we're still peppering him with questions. He he, he was like, "I got to get the publicity out of it that I waited eight minutes for." And and this is no okay. And this this is a the sequel to this story. Was eventually he hangs up. Eventually Johnny and I laugh about it for about five minutes. On the phone board in the in the studio where we can see who all the callers are, our producer gets in our ear and says, the guy on line one says he's Vito from The Sopranos, Vito Spadafore, the actor's name. Actor's the name real? Is, the real. Actor's name is Joe Gannascoli. Okay. I said, ask him what his name is. And he, he, you know, the producer gets on there and he gets back with us. He says, Joe Gannascoli. I said, well, that's his real name. And our producer Kyle is like, I think it's really him. It sounds like him. Like who would who would call in and say they're Vito Spatafore from The Sopranos? I'm like, well, who would interview a Willie Ames with only one (laughs) A? You know, like this could be people like trying to you know get over on us. So we brought him on, and it was Vito from The Sopranos. To this day, I'm still friends with him. I I, I, when I go up to New York, how did he? Okay, where was he? He was he was in Katy for a cigar show. And he was driving around. Whoever was hosting him happened to be driving around, and they were two of the eight people that were listening that day. <laughs> and he decided to call in and say, "What a funny bit it was!" He's like, "Yeah, you know, I listened to Stern up in New York, and well, that was a really funny bit you guys just did." Johnny and I still joke to this day, like our best weeks on the air were our first two weeks. Like we could never top could the never Willie top Ames interview. It. Yeah, we tried.
0: So you became friends with Vito then? I I did. He he. I've heard you talk about this.
1: I did not link it with that Willie Ames story. We. We, uh, we hung out at the Super Bowl when it was in New York. Sean, we, that's tremendous. We still keep in touch. I've had him on my national show. Um, I've, I've actually, you know, my dad was doing some stuff in, in TV for a couple of years up in Connecticut, and there was a project that I thought Joe would be good in. So my dad ends up going out. To, you know, my dad's sending me pictures of him with Joe, <laughs> and, like, it's it was really funny. So, yeah, it was a... I say all that to say that it was a weird first few weeks in radio. Yes. Well,
0: I mean, I just thought you were friends with him because also on your Twitter bio is that you're Sopranos historian. So I just thought this That's guy what... found a way to make it happen
1: with his favorite show and a character on his radio. I did not pursue uh, a friendship with Joe Ganiscoli. He pursued he, you. He found me, yeah. So, yeah. From I,
0: there to now... Triple Threat in the yeah. afternoons, and now Texans pre and post game. You yeah. were doing the post game before, yeah. Which now, after hearing your whole story, I, I imagine is a huge exciting
1: deal for you. It's my—I was so excited in 2014 when I found out I was going to be doing the post game show. At that time, it was me and Mike Meltzer and Ted Johnson, and it, I was so excited to be doing stuff for an NFL team. It was one of the reasons I went over to 6'10". I thought, man, maybe I'll get to do a couple of things here for the Texans. And then finding out the first year there I'm getting to do the post game show, I'm like, this is awesome. And I, I've said this to anybody I talk to, college classes I go speak to that ask me the question. Um, of all the things that I do, you know, the afternoon show, I do a show on Sunday nights on CBS Sports Radio that goes to a couple hundred cities. I do the Houston Press stuff you talked about, do some TV f- every now and then uh, right here in the stadium with you guys of all the things that I do, my favorite is doing game day stuff for the Texans. The my, the post game show has been my favorite thing since I started doing it. Because people and people are like, well, you get boy, you got to work on Sundays. It's not work, man. I, it I, really isn't.
0: That's that. I do think that's the pinnacle of. And I mean, obviously, I'm biased because we cover a football, sure, team, sure. So we we work for the games. Yeah. But for you, like, I always thought the post game is so hard to do because you've got to react immediately after the game. There's no going back and watching anything. Yeah. I mean, it's got you got to be taking notes during the game. Yeah. And then you got to have a take, and you it's like hard to process a three hour game. Yeah. Fifteen it's, minutes right afterwards, yeah. and just ha- be you know sound in in all your thoughts how do you do that
1: right it's fun as hell it's
0: awesome it's a lot of adrenaline it, it, I it is it
1: is i i usually get to the stadium pretty early you know and i get there around nine or so because i like to kind of just soak in the game day atmosphere and stuff like that and start to you know studying things going on you know just studying the game studying uh other games going on and you know just get getting into football mode throughout the morning um, and then watching the game. And, yeah, I'm always taking notes. I'm taking notes of things that are that I think are going to translate on a post-game show. You know what I mean? Like certain, certain drives, certain turning points in games. Oh, that's a good idea. Certain player performances. Player performances in small pockets. Like, hey, that second quarter, man, that second quarter where Deshaun Watson was 11 of 13 for 100, that was a real game changer. Or this third down. Boy, if they don't make this play. Like all the things that I think are going to translate into my opinions on the game but from their DP, it's pretty easy because we get a lot of callers to the postgame show. And so that to me is the, the best part about the postgame show to me is that Ted and I get to be the first people to react to the game. We're the When people are in their cars. And people
0: want to hear that. Yeah. When, and especially in a loss. Yeah, yeah. Want to hear what happened. Yes,
1: and and we are the first ones they hear. There's nobody else that they hear first giving strong opinions on things that happen than the post-game show of the team while they're in the parking lot, or maybe they've been out watching, if it's a road game, you know, they're, they're tuning in, uh, you know, either tuning in on their phones or, or they went to a bar to watch the game and now they're driving home or whatever. That's, that's the real adrenaline rush is like, wow, there's, there's a lot of people listening right now and we're kind of, You know, we're kind of shaping what the thoughts are on the game. Either we're shaping – maybe I'm saying – I'm giving myself a little too much credit by saying we're shaping. But they're hearing our opinions, and they're either saying, yeah, that's what I saw, or no, you're an idiot. But either way, they pick up the phone, they call in, and it's a a ton of fun. I'll be honest
0: with you. I'm usually here in the stadium. I watch the game. Then I stay in the – I go to the locker room. I hear the press conferences. I'll I'll go write some stories. Uh, But now I find myself leaving the stadium to go home and write the stories, and in the car on the way home – I'll listen to the post-game show because yeah. I want to know if how I saw the game, if that's how other people are seeing it the same way. Like the observations I made, what went wrong or what went right, is what you all are talking about because those are the storylines that we're going to be working
1: on. I'm with. the same way. I, I love seeing that other people whose opinions I respect saw the same things I did. It's like, did you
0: see it the way I saw right, it? Right,
1: right, like little things too, you know. So it's, it's, it's really cool. I, it's so much fun. It's a real honor. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a. A lot of people, a lot of radio hosts, but I think a lot of just people, fans of the team who would give their left arm to be able to be Absolutely. the person whose voice is going out after the game. So I don't take it for granted for sure.
0: And then now this year, starting in 2018, yeah. you get to add Texans pregame show to your list of many duties yeah. here with the Texans and Sports Radio 610. How exciting is that for you? Super
1: exciting. You know, kind of a reverse of what I was just talking about. You know, the, when people are coming to the stadium or when they're getting ready to watch a road game or th- something like that, and they've got. Uh, Texans radio sports radio 610 on before the game you know we're kind of the one setting the stage so I, I I'm I'm equally excited for that and I'm cumulatively super excited and honored to get to be part of the front end and the back end of the broadcast I think it's just it's just the coolest thing I was what, so excited what
0: would you do differently to the pregame like how do you add your Sean Pendergast flair
1: um, to pregame uh, well it's interesting I you know I, I like, are you a stats guy? Do no, you like I, to look at players? I, I, I like stats. Um, I like stats. I like opinion. You know, I think, I think the pregame is probably, you know, it's a little more guest driven and kind of, you know, schedule driven. The, the postgame show is more like, you know, it, it's it, the postgame show is more like a mosh pit. It's you a know, free form show, depending right, on how the, the game the pre, went. The pregame show is more like formal dance. You know what I mean? Where <laughs> it's you know, I like that. There are certain steps you, you can make formal dance. Pregame is like ballroom. Yeah. Postgame game
0: is mosh pit. I, I don't you think? I, I agree with you. Yeah, and so it's an organized mosh pit though. Yeah,
1: so I don't know. You know, like I look. I I think I think the pregame show has sounded great before. I've been on it. I hope I can kind of maintain the standard of what's been out there. But I I think. I, I won't be short on having opinions in the pregame and I and I do like I I am a big fan of kind of num not just numbers but getting underneath the numbers and kind of, you know, uh, more explaining what they what they mean, you know, what does that mean? And what more importantly, what does it mean to what's about to happen in a couple hours on the field? You know what I mean? How does it translate to that? So, um yeah, I, I we'll probably, like a lot of stuff I've done in radio, we'll find out what my twist is on it once the microphone gets turned on. Well, I
0: can't wait. I think it's going to be so exciting. I'll be driving to the stadium listening to you
1: because I also get to hear like three hours, four hours before the game starts. Can I tell you one more funny story? Yes. And I think it's a story that you've heard, but I think it's given that we're talking about the involvement, my involvement in the pregame and the postgame, and John Harris's his heavy involvement in the and game all, broadcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has Johnny ever told you the story of our first Texans training camp? Uh, if, I think I know where it's okay. are going, but go ahead. Go okay, ahead. so this is like two weeks after John, Johnny and I met each other in July of 2006, like late July. We met each other like three weeks before they put us on the air. We'd never met each other before,
0: <laughs> but Johnny's one of those people no, that you could meet him, and five minutes later, you're we best were attached with to him.
1: hip for the for the next four oh. years. You know, <laughs> and and we got along great. We were great friends right off the bat. Um, we had never gone to Texans training camp before, so we we started up with Gal like late July 2007. I think training camp started a week after that. So they got us our media passes, and and Johnny and I are like, okay, we're you know what time do we need to be there? What you know we're these new new media guys in town. We don't want to be the ones that are you know showing up like super late. Like, is there do they even care if you show up or whatever? We had no idea. So Johnny and I are like, okay, the day before training camp is set to start. Started like on a Wednesday, so like Tuesday after our show. I think practice started at like eight thirty in the morning. And Johnny and I are like, Okay, let's meet at the station, which was by the galleria. Let's meet there at like six thirty. Okay. And then we'll drive over together. And then that way <laughs> we'll walk in together and we You're... won't be late. So so we're like, let's do six thirty. I know practice starts at eight thirty, but you never know with traffic in Houston. Knowing full well, it's never even in the worst of traffic. Taking two hours to get from the Galleria, it's like a to ten minute, stick. fifteen we, minutes. Tops. We were two of the most like self-conscious little <laughs> football nerds, and we're like, we got to make sure we're not, you know, let's let's try to get there early. Johnny and I meet at the station at six thirty. We were sitting in the teal lot over by the bubble at like six fifty, yeah. and nobody's there. And it's no, I was gonna say nobody's there. It's like Wally World vacation, <laughs> like where it's Chevy Chase pulls in. And so Johnny and I pull in, and we're like sitting there in our car, like all by ourselves in the teal lot, and we're looking at each other, and we're like, "We are the two biggest dorks in the world. We're the two biggest." <laughs> Nobody the there world. to even
0: unlock the the, the 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 gate to the field. I bet.
1: No, the, the gate to the field wasn't unlocked. But here's what's funny: is first practice, so they're getting ready to do all this stuff where you know fans can come out. This this guy walks over and taps on the window. He was over like by, you know, he was kind of over by where the where the team comes in, where the bridge is coming over Kirby. Yes. He was in a truck and he gets out of the truck and he walks over, he taps on the window, I roll down the window, he's like, Are you the guys that are supposed to help us set up the bouncy thing? <laughs> bouncy castle. I'm like, No, we're just That's two radio hosts us. that haven't done a show yet and we didn't know what time to show up. So Johnny and I, like two idiots, are sitting there at six fifty in the morning, waiting an hour and whatever it was, forty minutes for practice to start. And Johnny and I joke every year about it now because it's like, Man, look look at us now. <laughs> you know, like Look at us now rolling it at seven. <laughs> Well, no, but like two guys who didn't know their, you know, di- you know, didn't know their, their, you know, their butt from their elbow, didn't, you know, whether the- I
0: think everybody's had that experience. Your first training camp. I remember, sh- like, <laughs> what shall I wear? Right,
1: but now we're the ones that are like <laughs> it's hundred and ten. But now we're the now we're like two crucial parts of the game day presentation. You know what I mean? Like
0: that, a- I mean that's am- isn't that amazing? <laughs> yes. There? Yeah. I think that's the beauty of it. Is that two normal pe- Any two normal people out there? Listening could one day be in a position. That's what like I that. tell him,
1: man. the The world nowadays with the internet and everything else, it's the wild, wild west. You want to do a radio show, start a podcast. You want to do, you want to write, start a blog. And if you're good, and you're good at spreading the word, people will find you. But I text Johnny every year, and I tell that story on Twitter every year. And every year <laughs> I text Johnny, maybe not every year, but I feel like I have multiple times. An op- like like opening weekend, I'll text him like, we got him all fooled, man. We got him all fooled. <laughs> we pulled a
0: fast one on everyone. We got, got all fooled. And you're going strong. <laughs>
1: I hope it keeps going. So. And going
0: strong. All right, That's Sean it. Pennergast, you're not fooling anybody. We're going to okay. love you on the Texans pregame, uh, Texans postgame, 2018 season. But in the meantime, you can hear him every day on the triple threat every afternoon sports radio 610 yep and read his stuff on houstonpress.com i I love reading your stuff sean thanks so much for coming in stop by anytime i know i'm going to see a bunch of you during the season
1: dp this was awesome this was a lot of fun i hope i get to do it again with you thanks for having me.
0: absolutely thanks so much for listening everybody and go texans